What is up, everybody? This is Marley. Welcome back to Fouled Out. Today, the boys are going to go over the end of the NBA finals and do a live mock draft for the NBA draft this Thursday. I'm jumping on here to say how proud I am of my husband. He just had his first Father's Day, and boy, is he a good one. He's been such a great daddy and husband. Maddie, Koji, and I are so lucky. I hope everyone's enjoying this podcast. This man's passion for sports is as big as Tom Brady's ego, if you can't tell. Adam, I have to agree with you. Jason Tatum is just outside the top 12 best players in the league. He proved nothing during the finals with the Warriors. Despite having no starting pitching, the Red Sox are killing it right now. Alex Cora is a god. And their winning streak is exciting. I see them easily making the playoffs and beating the Skankies. All right, guys, enough from me. Time for Adam and Matt to jump on. You're listening to the best. I love you, babe. And you too, Matt. Let's go. I am back. Thank you to Marley for doing today's special intro. Uh, and I'm joined by Matt and Devin. After a completed NBA finals, we have crowned a champion. The Golden State Warriors win the championship in six games. The Warriors fourth title in eight years. Uh, a plus to Matt for not only getting the series right, but also the amount of games. Uh, B pluses for me and Devin because we were pretty close. But Matt, you did a good job. Should have made that a beer vet. Yeah. I don't think I, I don't think I would have taken that one because <laughs> I feel like it was going to be pretty close to like a six or a seven gamer, but um, yeah. So fourth title in eight years for the Warriors, six appearances into the finals. My kind of big takeaway, like, so Curry gets the finals MVP. And the big takeaway for me of this finals is that like, from a narrative perspective, this finals reminds me like for Curry of Tom Brady's championship in Tampa Bay in a way, because even though Tom Brady had six rings, there was always that like, Oh, he can't do it without Belichick. Like he's just, it's, he did that because he had Belichick and then he goes on and wins another title somewhere else with a completely different cast. Well, Curry always had that kind of like cloud hanging over his head, fair or unfair, probably unfair that, he was like one and two in the finals without Durant. He got two with Durant. He never won a finals MVP. And I really just felt like he went out there and kind of proved everything that he needed to prove. Uh, you know, even if some of us believe before that there really wasn't anything left for him to prove that he had already kind of proven everything he needed to. I feel like this just kind of ends the debate that his detractors would, you know, kind of use to take away from him. Yeah. And I mean, when we when we did our top 30, I even mentioned, like, there was some appeal for me to put him at number one because of his ability to do this, this exact thing. And, you know, narrative-wise, like, he's now won a championship before Kevin Durant, with Kevin Durant, and now since Kevin Durant. And in the finals, also beat the team that swept Kevin Durant. So well, where where are you at, Kevin Durant stands? What's <laughs> what's what's the thing now? I mean, it's a good point. I mean, in my opinion, it in in my opinion, it solidifies his place as a top 10 player of all time. I mean, just with the success of that franchise as a whole, his individual accolades, now he has the finals MVP. I mean like you guys said, he's not really, he's not missing anything anymore. You know, he is a pioneer of the, of the three point era that the game is now played in. And now he has all of, all of the personal accolades and, and the championships uh, that, you know, that support that in my opinion. Yeah. I like that. You said he's a pioneer of the three point era. I was thinking about this the other day and that an argument that people always use to say that he's, like a top five player of all time or like top so-and-so is that like he revolutionized the game of basketball. And I actually think that that narrative is like a little bit overblown 
because the three point era was coming either way with like the analytics movement and people are like, yeah, but the deep threes and the things that like, the reason I don't think that Curry like really revolutionized basketball the way that people think he did is because like how many people can actually do what he does. Absolutely. You know, it's not like he went out there and started doing this and then everybody's like, Oh, we're going to play exactly his way because you can't, there's like, there's other players who do like a diet version of him, but he's a one of one. He's, you know, yeah, I I wouldn't even say there's players who do a diet version of him. There's guys who do parts of what he does. Uh, Like Dame has the limitless, the limitless range that he has. Right. But like, but no one has been able to, he doesn't put the rest of that package together because they're just, they're different players and he's unique and not just within his era, but like over the history of the game. Yeah. And, and he's proven that he can win with that type of, you know, play style and mindset. Yeah. A lot of, a lot of those, you know, quote unquote diet versions of Steph Curry or, or pl- players that sort of emulate his style haven't necessarily shown that they can win the whole thing. And he has several times. Um, and I think you're right. You know, the, the, le- you know, what the league values was going to change, you know, regardless with, with the analytics movement. Yeah. So he just happens to have the skill set to capitalize on that. So he was just naturally going to succeed in the way that the game is being played now. So yeah, maybe he's not necessarily a pioneer, but he just happened to capitalize on his talents in a way that the league was moving towards that really just allowed him to be as impactful as he possibly could be playing basketball. Yeah. I mean, I, I like pioneer as a word for him because like the deep three thing really was, he really was the first person to do it. And people mm-hmm. did emulate that. I just feel like when you say that, like this single player revolutionized the way the game is played, is that like, oh, we're all going to change to play like him just because we all, you know, five or six players added a deep shot to their bag, but that teams are not going out there being like, oh, we're just going to all play like Steph Curry now because it's not possible because you can't because no one else can. No one else in the history of the league can. So I actually think like saying he revolutionized the game is disrespecting how unique he is. I think a good way to put it is that like the game was changing, right? It was revolutionizing itself with the three-point shooting. But he was the one who came in, took that change, and just broke the game. Yeah, he's just like a player who came along at the perfect time for his career and for what the league was doing and was able to take advantage of it. But I was actually thinking, like, while we're talking about Curry real quick, too, I was watching game six and just thinking that, like, a super underrated part of his game is his ability to get to the rim and finish against bigger defenders. Because he was taking Rob Williams to school in game six. And like over and over and over again, they could not stop him. Like he he really had solved that Boston defense uh by the end of that series. And I know he had the bad game five. Yeah, or he, game four and game six. It just was incredible. He's in my opinion, he's a lot stronger than he was in like 2015 or 2016, even though the 2016 season is probably Still his best individual season that he's ever had in his career, but he, he's obviously stronger now. I mean, he's always been able to get to the rim, but he, he just he, – he seems stronger to me. And uh, and not only that, like, so, so his strength and his rebounding are honestly two of his most underappreciated and, you know, underappreciated attributes. I mean, people talk about his rebounding. He's always one of the best rebounding point guards in the league, but it, you just don't really notice it, but he ends up getting five, you know, four to six rebounds a game, which is pretty incredible for, for a player of his size, who's known primarily as a guy who shoots a bunch of threes. Yeah. Just the ability to like use his body to keep the bigger defenders away from blocking the ball too. I just like the body control, the strength, like Devin mentioned, just like the overall ability to finish, I just think is so underrated because people see him as like, Oh, he's a really great shooter. He's a shooter. He's a shooter. He's a shooter. And really he's just like an all around player who just excels at shooting. I mean, he's a creative. That's what he is. Like, you know, think of him as like an art major who actually made it big when he graduated from college. Uh, he clearly a one of one. Yes, uh, he's you know so creative on the perimeter, but also like on his finishes. 
we we think about like finishing like packages of like finishing moves as you see in like 2k but i feel like he doesn't have anything like predetermined he just kind of flows like water with whatever the defense throws at him and is usually able to solve it that's a good point you know and i was gonna ask you guys don't you guys think it's pretty funny if you go back and look at you know, his, his uh, college highlights and sort of the scouting reports that were coming out on him and just like looking back on it now, obviously hindsight is twenty twenty, but just, it seems ridiculous that he would never succeed. Like the questions on him as a player, like how different things were then, you know, put that same exact player in that same, those same reports uh, on players today. And they would, everyone would be like, Oh my gosh, this guy's going to be a, they're going to be a star. <laughs> oh, Speaking of Steph Curry getting drafted, you want to hear the most ridiculous thing about that draft? He was picked seventh overall. Minnesota had picks five and six. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Picked <laughs> two different point guards ahead of him Johnny Flynn. Johnny oh, Flynn and Ricky Rubio. They picked <laughs> two point guards in a row, and neither of them were Steph neither Curry. Neither were him. Man, that, yeah, that. That's all that is. You talk about retrospect. That is so bad. Uh, But yeah. And I I think like the other thing on Curry too, is that he is a student of the game. And like, I think he understood how important it was for him to win this finals and play well doing it because he showed more emotion at the end of game six than the vast majority of guys who are winning their first title. And this is his fourth. Like, it really yeah. felt like this was important to him. Uh, and I thought that was kind of cool to see. Is like a guy who's had that much success be that vulnerable and that emotional winning his fourth title on the court and just being like, I kind of feeling like he needed this. It's weird to think about, you know, this guy who had three championships and, you know, the, they missed the playoffs for two years after Kevin Durant left. And, and we still got three championships. So in our mind, it's like, yeah, you're not really like bottoming out, but for him, like that had to be literally painful. Like that had to be a knife in his gut for two years to not be able to go toe to toe with, you know, the top of the West and the, the time that he really shines is in the playoffs. I, I enjoyed seeing it. I don't really have a better way to put it than that. Just it was really cool to see someone who has achieved so much still like have that be such a big deal. For sure. I mean, and as like as fans of the game, you know, I think it's I don't want to say it's easy for us. We're spectators, we're fans, but you can tell when a player when winning is like a secondary objective for them or if they actually really, really care. And, you know, I always think about it where I'm like, no, do I need my players to absolutely like desire winning? You would, you would ideally want that, but that it just isn't the way the world works. You know, this is a job for, for these players. Some people are just going to care about it more than others when it comes to actually winning championships. So when you have a guy of his caliber, who's been playing for as long as he has, who has the level of success that he has in the championships and the accolades, the fact that he cares is like, you know, it, it goes back to the Tom Brady thing where it's like, same thing with him. You know, he obviously winning, he kind of holds winning as a standard much higher than his peers. And that's part of the reason why he's as successful as he has been. And the same goes for Steph Curry. Yes, I just thought that was really awesome to see. Um, so all credit to Steph Curry. I think like that's the number one story coming out of this finals is Steph Curry. But there's one more person I wanted to give credit to in the Warriors organization, uh, and that's their GM, Bob Myers. I thought that was kind of like the other underrated story of this finals is that like this title is really a tribute to Joe Lakeup, uh, the owner of the Warriors, and Bob Myers, the GM. And their ability to constantly rebuild this team around the same core, which is not uh, as easy as it sounds. It's like, I know you have Steph, Clay, and Draymond, but like to keep reinventing this team around this core, uh, 
I thought is like super impressive. And I was really thinking about it. And I'm kind of at the point where I'm ready to say that Bob Myers is the best GM in the NBA. I think that's fair. I think it's fair too. I mean, you know, they had Harrison Barnes, you know, the first run, and then they basically replaced Harrison Barnes with Kevin Durant. And then they end up with Andrew Wiggins. Who's like what, what he did in the finals and in the playoffs in general was very impressive to me. And he kind of, he kind of was like Harrison Barnes, but a different flavor of it, a little bit better in some respects. I mean, obviously impressed the hell out of me and just about anybody else who's a fan of basketball in the playoffs. Um, we talk about how like amazing it is that Bob Myers was able to continue to rebuild this roster around those guys. And yeah, like we really have to, we kind of already did this earlier, but give a shout out to Steve Kerr as well, because all the guys that they brought in to rebuild this roster, like needed some work and development and show actual progress and Steve Kerr and his coaching staff, not just Steve Kerr are notably responsible for that, you know, getting the most out of that anyone has gotten out of Andrew Wiggins. Gary Payton, the second was in the G league for how long? Like getting something out of Bielitsia. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like Gary Payton, uh, Gary Payton, the second will basically just have a very impactful 10 minutes of, of playing time, like every single night, whether he's scoring at all or not, you know, it's what they're able to get out of that roster. Yeah. I mean, yeah. For all of his faults, like turning Jordan pool into that glass cannon, like, yeah, that's huge. Well, it's like, it's that it's knowing the right buttons to push, like when to bench Draymond and when to like, you know, take these guys out of the game. Like he, he is such like a, he has so much like runway with that team and like so much respect from the team too. Like if your players don't respect you, you cannot take Draymond out of the game. Cause like Draymond's going to MF you and he's going to do this and that. But like, there's so much respect for Steve Kerr in that locker room that like Draymond just kind of like went quietly and like, did his thing and was like, okay, like, and then like to not only do that, but then come back and like feature Draymond in game six and have Draymond have like a pretty good game for his standards nowadays is impressive to me. So yeah, it's like, it's really that like interlocking of the owner, the GM and the coach all being on the same page and being like, okay, like these are the guys we're going to take and this is how we're going to develop them. And this is how we're going to use them. And then like giving Kerr, the runway that he needs to be able to make big decisions like that in games and not come down and be like, Hey, we are paying Draymond $25 million a year. You are not benching him in the most important game of the finals. Like the, the trust and respect between like all levels of the organization is why they've been so successful. I also think with Kerr, it's just that I think he's like a people person before he is really a basketball coach like that goes a long way with him knowing like what button to press at what time you see a lot of when he's talking to the media, how he's reacting to things that are going on in the world and how passionate he is about it. Like players see that too. And that inspires a lot of trust as well. So. Yeah. I I I think that's, that's like a growing archetype of coach out there. Yeah. And I, like, I think people would look at it though and say like, well, he had Steph clay and Draymond when Draymond was in his prime. So like, it's easy to be that successful when you have players that are that good. But I was looking back at the 2012 Oklahoma city thunder. That was a team that like, okay. So Sam Presti is like commonly seen as like, Oh, Sam Presti is the best GM and the blah, blah, blah. Uh, hot take on Sam Presti. I think Sam Presti is actually super overrated because what if his team's ever won ever since he's been in charge there. But so Sam Presti had 24 year old Kevin Durant, 24 year old Russ and 23 year old James Harden and lost in the finals against LeBron James in the Miami heat and never made it back to the finals. And like some of it's bad luck, but also some of it is because of the decisions he made. Like they go out and they trade James Harden. 
instead of paying him and they don't get enough back. And then like, you know, you traded away Harden and now you're just there with KD and Russ and you're trying to build this team around KD and Russ and like rebuild this team. So it's like, yeah, it's part of the decisions you make. And sometimes when you're the GM of a team and you're trying to build a team, the trades you don't make are just as important as the trades you do. Like when Bob Myers was first building this team up, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, but there were times where they almost traded Steph instead of Monta Ellis. There were times where they almost traded Clay and almost traded Draymond and almost traded guys, but believed more in their process and their development and their ability to build a team around these guys and didn't make the bad trades. Uh, and then ended up topping it with like good ones. Like the ability to even be able to sign Kevin Durant, but <clears throat> to put yourself in that position financially, even with the big spike in like league revenue and salary cap, it, it's all these things that go into a long sustained run that they've had. Uh, so I think he just deserves a ton of credit for like building this team and rebuilding this team and rebuilding and always moving stuff forward. Like we talked about the Katie to Brooklyn thing ad nauseum on this podcast and how that landed them Wiggins and kind of swung this final. So a uh, ton of, ton of credit to Bob Myers. I think he deserves it. Well said. That was a lot. It was a mouthful. Um, and then just on the other side, before we go to the draft too, like great season for the Celtics, especially after being 500 for so long there, you know, there's no precedent for what they did, but they're in that 2012 Oklahoma city thunder spot right now where you have two young, good players. And it's going to be like, do you take the Bob Myers route of building and rebuilding and doing all this stuff around these guys? Or do you take the Sam Presti route of like, you don't get back there. Like, I, I don't think it's just like a guarantee they're going to get back there just because they have two young, great players. That's true. I mean, and there were some, pretty glaring issues with that team in the finals. You know, a lot of the things we had talked about with the, the turnovers, um, lack of a true point guard, and just sort of some inconsistency with some performances on their bench. Uh, it was, it's obvious that they have a lot of work to do before they can even make it back to the spot again. And it's nowhere. It's, it's not a guarantee. You know, I mean, going back to what you were saying about the thunder that year, I remember when that was happening, you know, they were, they were talked up as the next, you know, the next big thing, all, all these, all these players under 25, they were just in the finals. Like they're going to be making it to the finals every single year. They're going to be close. And then they just proceeded to get bounced every year. And yeah, they made it far, you know, they would make it to the conference finals, but they would lose in pretty spectacular fashion uh, in some weird series and they never made it back. And it, it could easily happen in Boston. I, I hear a lot of talk on, you know, TV media on Twitter and all that crap about, uh, you know, Jason Tatum. Just like, isn't that guy who's going to, you know, step up in that situation and like close it out and come up big for you. And you know, like, yeah, this year, that was totally true. Sure. Also, that's not going to happen overnight. Like he's 24. There's no reason why he couldn't develop into that. And for his sake, I hope he does. Um, even if I feel like some of his social media stunts are a little over the top. Um, <laughs> but I, there's still a lot for Celtics fans and the organization to feel really, really good about. And it's important to not lose sight of that. Rob Williams was incredible like and he was hurt on, the entire series yeah so yeah he was basically playing on one leg and honestly if they didn't have rob williams in that series it might have been four or five games like he was that good um i would say that their mvp was between jalen brown and him um but yeah like the the lack of a point bar point guard as we've talked about before was a huge issue and they're they need to if they're going to take that next step go out and address that in the offseason because 
it's just been a glaring hole for years now, really. You think um, Jose Calderon would come out of retirement? I am praying he does, just because I want to see that for the memes. Kevin read my mind. I like I have a list of like priorities for the Celtics this offseason. And number one is call Jose Calderon and see what he's doing <laughs> next year. Uh, but yeah, no, I just think it's like a good history lesson. And I think that the narrative I keep seeing on social media is that, oh, the Celtics were they're young and they're going to be back like no problem. And I do think that the franchise has a lot to feel good about. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that you you can't just be like, oh, we're young. We're only going to get better. We're going to be back. You can't rest on your laurels. Like it would be really easy for them to look at it and be like, okay, we have one hundred and fifty one million dollars committed to next year. And everyone that was on this team this year is under contract for next year. Yeah. So let's just bring back the same team. We just went to the finals. But like one you were lucky to get to the finals. Like you're, you know, the Chris Middleton injury or one shot by Jimmy Butler away from not making the finals. And two, like, that's why I brought up the Oklahoma city thunder in part is because teams that rest on their laurels or make the wrong team building decisions never get back. Like you have to keep going. You have a $27 million trade exception this off season. You got to figure out how to use that. If you want to make the finals next year. You got to add a point guard. You got to see what the Ricky Rubios of the world are doing. Like the, you know, these free agents who can come in and run your offense off the bench. You got to check in on trades like Malcolm Brogdon from the Pacers or like another established point guard. Um, And you got to get commitment from ownership to spend this money too. Cause like I said, you got 150 mil guaranteed for next year. Adding salary to that is a big ask, but if you want to be the Warriors, if you want to keep moving forward like the Warriors did, all levels of your organization got to commit to it. Both Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, but specifically Tatum with the whole, if you want to emulate Kobe Bryant, this this is your opportunity. Think about how Kobe Bryant would respond to this in the offseason. Dude would live in the film room. Like, focusing on every little mistake he made, figuring out where his weakness was. Like Jason Tatum, go out this off season, figure out your mistakes. And honestly, like the biggest thing he can do, work on your ball security. Both him and Jalen Brown, like that's a huge issue. It wouldn't be as big of an issue that they don't really have a point guard if those two were more secure with the ball. And I get it. Like that doesn't necessarily need to be their role. So it's not entirely on them, but that's the situation you were in. And you guys were the primary ball handlers for your teams. So you need that scope. Yeah. And it's just such a huge off season for the Celtics and for someone like Jason Tatum is like, yeah, Jason Tatum, you lost the finals. You had a bad finals. It sucks. But these are the types of moments in your career. And I mean, really in your life too, that make you and break you when things go wrong, when things don't happen the way you want them to, when you have huge disappointments and major setbacks, what do you do about it? How do you move forward? Do you, do you let it make you a better player or do you just collapse under pressure for the rest of your career? So, uh, I'm super interested to see how he responds. I hope it's well, uh, you know, we talked a lot about how he's not a top 10 player in the NBA right now, this postseason, but I don't think he's super far away from that either. There's just like some more stuff that he needs to add and he's young. So, Um, I'd like to see him have a nice bounce back season next year, but yeah, definitely like a lot of progress for the franchise, just still a long way to go. Yeah. And I, I don't doubt that he's going to put in work this off season. I just don't know if he's necessarily going to focus on the things that I think he should be focusing on. Um, and who knows, maybe I'm wrong. Right. So who knows? But Jose Calderon, call number one if you yes. are Brad Stevens. Honestly, that's get him in the building. Call. Do not stop calling Jose Calderon until he breaks down and just says, "Fine, 
I will play. We don't need you to guard anybody, okay? We just need you to just, you know, slow down the offense a little bit, kind of take control, you know, take some leadership in the, in the point guard spot. Don't have, to, don't have to play defense, though. What do you guys think Rudy Fernandez is doing next year? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I forgot he was a person. <laughs> little Juan Carlos Navarro action in Boston. Who was the guy on the Knicks in like 2013 who was like a 36 or 37 year old rookie? Oh gosh, what the heck was that guy's name? I can't, I'm gonna look this up and I'm gonna bring it up on the, on the next pod. But all right, well, I'm going to share my screen and we are gonna go on to the next fun part of the podcast. Devin, if you find that name, pop it up. The other thing we want to do today the NBA draft is on Thursday at 7 30. Uh, so as we promised, we have a little mock draft game to do here where we're going to do the top 10 picks in the draft. We've divided up the teams. Uh, we're going to kind of talk through the picks here and what some of the options are and then who we're picking and why. Uh, so I'm going to get us kicked off with the first pick in the draft, and that is the Orlando Magic. I, it's like it's still kind of a three-way race for the first spot. Um, I feel like now it's kind of down more to just like Chet Holmgren and Jabari Smith. But if I'm the Magic, I'm going with the guy I think has the highest upside to be a superstar in the league. So I'm picking Chet Holmgren. You know, I think all three of us kind of see him as the number one prospect. And I think he has the best upside. Like, I think he has the highest ceiling. And maybe one of the lower, maybe not one of the lower floors. Like, I know that there's concerns about the body, but the very unique skill set that he brings to the table uh, is just too enticing for me to pass up, especially with some of the deficiencies that we're seeing in the other guys' games. Yeah, I, I like the pick. I, I think upside is the is the main thing that really comes to mind with Chet Holmgren. You know, that's that's the thing everyone is excited about is the potential, um, which is which can be dangerous, you know, if, if that type of thing doesn't pan out. But that's that's why a lot of people think he has the highest upside in the draft for sure. We talked about it last week. A guy who athletically and skills wise compares similarly to Kevin Durant, not expecting him to be Kevin Durant because he is a one of one, but that's hard to pass up. And especially when you are the Orlando magic and you just have not had anything resembling a star since Dwight Howard, like you need to take your swing. Yep, so Matt is on the board for Oklahoma City at number two. Uh, so for OKC, I am going to go with Paolo Banchero. I think that they need, with this pick, especially them having billions of other picks, like they need to take their swing. Um for me, the concern with Paolo is more so than anything else, effort, which obviously is concerning on both ends of the floor, even on offense. His size, the way he can move at that level, the, the way he is able to pass and ball handle as a big uh, is unique. It's And he's able to play as a true big, not like – Chet, who's more of a Paul wing, he, he just offers so much offensively, and he has a very high potential on defense if he puts the effort in. Um, I just think this is probably the best swing for them and can offer SGA some help. I really like the playmaking upside of a lineup that has Giddy, SGA, and Paolo Bonchero in it. Yep. Like that's sure. that's a lot of ball movement. If they start like this ball movement type offense, like what the Warriors run with like the cuts and the replacing and the like having three high level playmakers on the floor at the same time, I think would be pretty exciting to me. I look at the way he moves and the kind of offense that you could potentially run with that too. Like imagine having 
like the other team's big just like running around chasing him around because the way that Powell can move is not like other bigs. Like some of the spin moves I've seen him make, like <laughs> those are like shooting guard moves. For sure. It ain't right. It ain't right. All right. Devin is on the board at number three with the Houston Rockets. Oh, we're just going to keep this simple here. I mean, pretty straightforward. We're going to go Jabari Smith. Um, Houston's just, they're in a position where they just need talent. You know, they, they just, they need talent. This is a guy that a lot of people have going number one in this draft. There's a good chance that he might, you know, uh, despite what some people might, you know, any, any uh, negatives, people might have on him he definitely seems to be the best shooter in the draft his shot mechanics are just they're pretty much picture perfect he's going to contribute right away you know and with the downs or with the negatives on his playmaking and ability to dribble the ball you know and sort of create his own shot um you know Houston's already got Jalen Green you know they might be able to make a good pairing he's going to be able to play a lot on a team that isn't good in Houston He's going to be able to flash any type of star potential that he has in his rookie season. So I think that's a pretty safe pick there at three. Yeah. I think that the fact that they traded Christian Wood for not a ton of stuff this week to Dallas is kind of an indication that they're ready to take one of these three bigs in the first round, just whichever one falls to them. Um, Or if Jaden Ivey ends up going at like two, they have an option between a couple of these guys that I think they're definitely taking one of them. So I think that's a good call. Uh, I mean, Jabari's fit along with Jalen green uh, and Alperin Sangoon and some of those guys, like the floor spacing he's going to provide for those guys, I think would be really nice in Houston as well. For sure. Absolutely. So, all right. I am back on the board with the most and least exciting part of this draft. Uh <laughs> My Sacramento Kings are up at four and we talked about this a little bit in our like pre-show meeting, but I I just feel like this pick has now become like the ultimate game of chicken. So a lot of people see this as a four player draft and the Kings have signaled their potential interest in trading this pick away, whether it's for like an established player or like trading down like one or two picks to acquire more assets. Like, there's been rumors floated that uh, the Pistons could offer like five and Grant for it, or the Pacers could offer like Malcolm Brogdon and six. Uh, you know, there's even been rumors about like the Knicks trying to jump up from 11. And there's, the latest report was that Vivek Randiv, the owner of the Kings, wants Keegan Murray. <laughs> so I kind of think they're in this game of chicken where they kind of want to take Keegan Murray because he's a better fit and I, I would not draft for fit ever if I was the Kings, but you know, he fits in a little bit better with Fox and Sabonis uh, and is kind of more, you know, might be able to contribute more instantly than Jaden Ivy, but you probably are not getting Keegan Murray. If you trade back to like six or seven, you probably have to trade with the Pistons. So like if I'm the Pistons, I'm like, do it. I dare you to take Jaden Ivey. We know you don't want to take Jaden Ivey. And it's just, it's like this game of chicken. It's like, what do you do? Do you, if you're the Pistons, like, do you throw more in there to make sure you're the ones who get the pick? Do you think that like Sacramento would actually trade this away? I think it's like a really weird scenario for the Kings, which is just par for the fucking course in Sacramento. (laughs) This is just where we're always at. The draft is just never fun for the Kings. No, it's like, you know, the power forward would fit really nicely. So like if one of the big three guys falls to them, that would be perfect. Like they would love that and take that. If you're in this spot, I think this is very difficult for them to make a decision. Um, For me, it's not. For me, I'm taking best player available. So I'm going to take Jaden Ivey with this pick. Uh, We talked about like the upside of Jaden. I think he has potential to be the second best player in this draft. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he goes two or goes three. Uh, but like we said, it's a three and a half or a four player draft. I'm taking the fourth guy with the fourth pick and I'm not worrying about the fit until later. I mean, I I think there's a lot of talk about his offensive potential. Uh, but I think what is extremely underrated about him is his defensive potential. He 
it certainly isn't refined there yet um either like technically or mentally uh but you can see on tape the constant effort and what i love is that not only is he able to cover ground laterally and going backwards if he needs to but his speed and verticality are an absolute nightmare in transition like he is going to get so many chase down blocks in the nba like that is something i'm counting on with him that's not like a guess like i fully expect that to happen yeah just for me to trade out of that fourth fourth pick and not take ivy i would need to have my socks knocked off like the the constant rumor with the pistons has been like oh they might give up grant cuz he's an expiring 20 million dollar deal uh, in five to move up one spot to pair I or to pair Ivy with Cade. I, I don't know if that does it for me. I don't know if coming away with Grant and Murray, who is likely who they would draft in that spot, is enough for me to pass on the upside of Ivy to have a potential superstar in the future. Like you'd really have to show me something. I said this on Twitter uh, because there's rumors that the Thunder want to trade up from twelve to get four and have two and four. And people are like, oh, well, what about Dort and 12 and something else? And I'm like, dude, you're if you're calling to give me 12 for four, you're either starting with SGA or I'm hanging up the phone. And if SGA is not available, that's fine. I'm not trading out of this pick unless I'm getting something major. Like I would, you know, we were laughing about this on the pre-show. I need a Shadiq Bay to move back and take Keegan Murray. I need an SGA. Uh, I need something major to not take Jaden Ivy at this spot. And I, I, it may not be out there. Maybe it shouldn't be out there, but if it's not out there, I'm taking Jaden Ivy and I'm, I'm happy with that. Yeah. And if you are one of those Kings fans that has been throwing around the idea of the Pistons giving up Sadiq Bay to get five and not like, not like just acquire it, but move up one spot. What is the purpose of giving up a high potential player to acquire a high potential player when the goal is to acquire more high potential players? Yeah. Why would you want to give up a known quantity for, right. for an unknown that might also be good, but we already Right. <laughs> and at best, you're breaking even. Like right. the best case scenario is you break even <laughs> and you're moving up one spot. Like if you, if you make that decision, it's just, that would be, that'd be devastating. Yeah. It's way too much for the Pistons to give up, but that's the kind of offer that I need as a Kings fan to not take Jaden right. Ivy. Like I, if and that offer is probably not out there from any team giving up an established superstar, all-star all NBA level player or high upside prospect plus a high level pick. To get to four, I don't think that's out there, but I'd be shopping for that. That's what I'd be telling everybody the cost is. And if you guys don't want to pay it, I'll take Jaden Ivey. But also all my Kings fans out there on Twitter and Reddit, keep memeing the Shadiq Bay thing into existence. It would be the best episode of this podcast ever if the Pistons <laughs> trade us Shadiq Bay. That will literally be the day that this podcast ends. Honestly, I wouldn't even show up. I'd just be like, well, uh, I'm going to be crying. So <laughs> it'll just be, a solo. I'll talk to you guys later. It'll be a solo show next week. Uh, <laughs> but all right, Matt is on the board with the Pistons at five hometown pick. Well, you uh, put me in a tough spot here. I've, I think I know where I'm leaning. Also, I wouldn't be surprised if this isn't the only pick that the Pistons make in the first round. Uh, I just, Troy Weaver has a short but very compelling history of being aggressive with trades, uh, especially with the draft. And I would not be shocked if they even trade back into the lottery. I mean, Portland seems to either want someone super high upside or a veteran who can help right away. And 
may very well may not have a super high upside player there at seven. That being said here, I go super chalky and take Keegan Murray. Um, if for no other reason than to make sure that he doesn't go to Indiana. But I mean, I'm strongly considering uh, Benedict Matherin and AJ Griffin there as well. Uh, if we were picking a little bit later, I would even consider Jalen Duran. Um, I think he's super high upside. But uh, I think that especially with building a young core going forward, um, for me, Jeremy Grant was always a signing that was meant to be dealt later for the right price. And I still feel like that day is coming. And I think that Keegan Murray is probably the most likely replacement for him. Yeah, I think ultimately, if you do move up to four to get Ivy to pair him with Cade, I'm not going to feel awful about the Kings having Jeremy Grant and Keegan Murray until I watch the Pistons have the best backcourt in the NBA (laughs) (laughs) for a long time. And then I'll feel pretty bad about it. But Devin, how would you feel about uh, the Pistons coming away with Keegan Murray? Because you're a Pistons fan, too. I would be happy with it, actually. He's one of my favorite players in the draft. Um, The negatives on him being that he isn't extremely athletic and then his age, which, you know, I understand the age thing, but also it ends up being more of a what you see is what you get type of scenario, which isn't always a bad thing. Like he's going to be coming in more polished than a lot of other players potentially, even though he's, he was only a sophomore, but he is older. And I think he's more NBA ready than a lot of other prospects. Uh, You know, the likelihood that he would come in and just not succeed and not be able to contribute to a team. It just seems incredibly unlikely to me, you know, whoever ends up getting him is going to get a guy who can come in right away, give you, you know, give you good minutes and, probably be very successful regardless if he's on a winning team or if he's on a losing team. Yeah. I think you're starting to talk about a pretty scary lineup here when you consider like Hayes and Bay both getting better. Keegan Murray is going to be able to contribute right away as like a stretch four, small ball five. Uh, And then also just like the second year jump that we're all anticipating from Cade, like the jump that a lot of the big superstars make. I think like that's already a pretty good team. And then they're looking at signing guys like DeAndre Ayton this off season. So like, it could yeah. be a pretty nasty team in Detroit there pretty quickly, but for sure. Yeah. I mean, if, even if it's not Ayton and it ends up being some like Mitchell Robinson, like that is still a huge upgrade. If we can get someone who can play the five that can actually be an anchor to the defense so that we don't have to put that on Isaiah Stewart, like, that's a game changer for the defense. Yeah. The the one nice thing for the Pistons in this draft is that like, even though you kind of fell back to a spot, you didn't want to be at any of these top five prospects fit good there and make a lot of sense for them along with Cade and building next to Cade is the name of the game for the next 15 years, at least. Um, But all right, Devin, you're on the board at six with the Indiana Pacers. All right. Um, well, even though this team has a lot of guards, you know, uh, their, their big their big man situation is a little weird. But honestly, a lot of the centers and, you know, you know, pro, you know prototypical big men in this draft, you know, I just I don't want to I wouldn't want to take them at this spot. Um, so we're going to pair Benedict Matherin with uh, Halliburton on the Pacers. Um they have a bunch of, like I said, they have a bunch of shooting guards, but it's like Buddy Healed is Buddy Healed. And, you know, Benedict Matherin is like, could fill that role. Um, I, Tyrese Halliburton is, in my opinion, he can score the ball, but he's a playmaker primarily. And, it, you know, having to give up some shots to someone else who's just a primary scorer, I don't think is going to throw him off his rhythm at all. Um, as a facilitator, I think he's still going to be able to uh, do just fine. Yeah, he played with De'Aaron Fox in a situation where he was also a ball-dominant player, but he was also successful doing that there. So we already kind of know it can work. That, that That's my pick. I mean, Matherin is – I, I got to tell you guys, Matherin has like – so Jabari Smith has like the nicest-looking jump shot probably in this draft, but Matherin has the coolest-looking jump shot. 
Like his, <laughs> the way he shoots the ball is the coolest out of anybody in this draft. I'm convinced. He kind of, he's kind of got like the Tracy McGrady like lean when he shoots, you know, like yeah. it's kind of off balance, but it just goes in. It looks it just looks cool. I damn near took him at five, honestly. I I like him that much. I think Matherin's not going to be the rookie of the year next year, but I think no matter where he goes, he's going to be the holy shit rookie of the year where you like turn on the highlights the next day and you're like, holy shit, like the dunks, the shooting, the yeah. instant offense off the bench. Um, I'm, I'm trying to be excited for the Matherin pick. I'm just really sad that we're talking about Tyrese Halliburton and it's not in the context of him being on the Sacramento Kings. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, <sighs> the, the comment, like that backcourt, the defense is just, Oh, good luck. Yeah. The, that trade for them was never about like, I know they had to take on buddy healed and whatever. Um, but I think, Devin, this is the right approach to the Pacers draft pick because Buddy Heald is not the future plan. Like that, that pick was about getting Tyrese Halliburton in a Pacers uniform. Sure. Uh, so you're building around Tyrese if you're them. So seventh pick, I am up with the Portland Trailblazers. Uh, Matt mentioned this earlier. I, I think that they're going to trade this pick away for more help. They, they seem to have committed around or committed to uh, building this team back up around dame Mm -hmm. uh but since we're not going to trade these picks and we're going to make them i'm I'm really curious what you're doing here because i've got some some interesting thoughts as to like what would be best for them but i'm kind of all over the place so yeah so i'm i'm between two guys right now that are still on our board uh and that's dyson daniels and aj griffin uh but i'm going with dyson daniels i think a super interesting fit next to Dame to start. And then kind of a guy that can also play alongside Anthony Simons. uh, If Dame were to be traded or were to move on, he's a big guard who can be your secondary ball handler. And he's kind of like a do it all guy. So when there was like hot and heavy Ben Simmons rumors this off season, a lot of people talked about the trailblazers being like a potential destination for him and his fit with Dame. Uh, and while Dyson Daniels is not Ben Simmons, he's that type of player. Like he's going to be able to provide really good defense in the backcourt next to Dame, which is kind of what they need. Um, and same thing along with Anthony Simons. Like, I think he's a good fit there in the current state and the future state of the team. But Matt, who would you have gone with? Cause you're like a, so, kind of a secondary trailblazers fan. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've loved them since the jailblazers days. I was I was so hyped when we traded for Rashid Wallace because I just like fell in love with him out in Portland. Um, I would have, I probably would have gone with AJ Griffin there. Um, I think that adding a high potential three and D wing that could potentially turn into more would be huge for them. Um, the other one that I am considering, and it's I think a lot of people would probably think it's a bit early for him, but I think Jalen Duran would potentially be a really huge help for them because like I I love Yusuf Nurkic, but they don't really have a great rim protector. Um, and he offers a lot of upside there. He's got some stuff to clean up for sure, but he offers a lot there. Um, I also think that he offers a lot uh, in transition, both offensively and defensively with his verticality and his speed. Um, and speaking of use of Nurkic, guess who gets hurt a lot? Use of Nurkic. It would be really nice for them to have someone who can still be helpful when use of Nurkic goes down. I didn't see that answer coming. I thought it was going to be somebody else who gets hurt a lot. <laughs> that's how you make yourself sound smart you just answer your own questions <laughs> yeah. um yeah i i i can see how uh i mean dyson daniels is one of the best players left on the board uh so no issue with that um i also just think that 
they're probably going to end up have to really end up paying Anthony Simons to keep him because he was so damn good while Dame was out at, at like everyone noticed. And there's no way that they're not starting <laughs> Simons. Like you can't. Yeah, I think that's the nice thing about Daniels, though, is that he can play with Dame or with Simons or with both yeah. of them. Like Dyson Daniels is big enough to play the three that's in a lot true. of sets. So he, yeah. he could have some flexibility. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think they end up trading that pick away for more like instant impact to build around Dame. But definitely like a lot of good options for them, too, if they stay. So, um, but all right, Matt, you're up on the board at eight with the Pelicans. This is kind of a tough pick. It is. Yeah. I mean, I'm just. Oh God, that's. Yeah, they they are a tough one. Um, I'm just gonna go with my top player on my board at this point, and I'm gonna go with AJ Griffin. I mean, I feel like they're not a good enough team to really be picky about adding the best player available. Um, I mean, you can never have enough three and D players. Uh, he offers a lot of upside potentially, uh, on expanding his offense. You know, we talked last week about, well, maybe defensively, he's not exactly where you want to see him right now, but I don't have a whole lot of doubts that, uh, he will not make significant progression there over the course of his rookie season. Yeah, I think it's a good call to just have as much shooting around Zion as you can, uh, assuming that he's back and healthy and playing. Uh, I think some other like interesting options for them, Johnny Davis could be interesting yeah. as like another ball handler slashing scoring guard. Uh, and Jeremy Sochan, the forward from Baylor, like one of the biggest problems with the Pelicans last year is that they just didn't play defense. So getting arguably the best defensive player left on the board, the best wing defender left, I think could be a big help yeah. to them. But uh, but all right, Devin, you are up at nine with the San Antonio Spurs. Well, you guys have uh, kind of forced my hand here. I uh, really wanted to pair DeJounte Murray with, uh, with Dyson Daniels for, the, for that weird, like, two guard or, like, two, you know, point guard slash wing combo of great defenders who can't shoot. And I was really want- – I really wanted <laughs> to do that, to have, like, playmaker, defender, you know, hybrid. Um you know, and I kind of thought of a few things, you know, San Antonio, they, they could take a guy, you know, they could take a center, they could take Jalen Duran, they could take uh, Mark Williams, you know, they have a pretty good reputation and a history of, of, of um, fitting centers into their lineups, making them productive, productive members of their team, you know, whether or not they're playing a huge role or just sort of playing defense, getting rebounds, they do have a, they do have a strong history of that, but we're going to get a little wacky with it. Um, we're going to make them take shade and sharp. Um, as weird as that is, uh, because even though they don't really have a need for a wing part, you know, necessarily, you know, they've got some pieces out there. Um, the way I look at it is he's such a wild card, right? And, and what better way to find out if, you know, if he's going to pan out than to stick him right into Greg Popovich's coaching system and, and see if it can work. You know, the questions with him are obviously just the lack of, any type of information, any type of, you know, college experience, uh, and then also his motor, you know, but any, any players that have ever had an issue with Greg Popovich's system, you know, Kawhi Leonard, right. It wasn't due to a lack of motor that he, uh, kind of fell out of favor in there, or he, you know, him and Greg Popovich had an issue, but Shaden Sharp, you know, you stick him in that system, maybe, maybe Greg Popovich and the Spurs can just sort of, work with it and bring out his full potential. And then they, they just get a shot in the arm and they end up being, you know, propelled back into deep playoff contention because they, you know, as they had a long run, you know, they're not in a rut. They're not a terrible team, but they definitely need something. They need something to like really kind of shake them out of, uh, of mediocrity. And like, what if they take this risk on this, you know, this question mark and it ends up being amazing for them. Not saying it's the smartest pick, but it would certainly be interesting. Uh, you know, pretty quick, I feel like whether or not he would make it in the NBA as a six, as a star pretty early on, you know, if he's getting DMPs or just 
clearly can't gel within that system, then obviously means his motor probably isn't super high and doesn't have much of a chance of succeeding anywhere if he can't su- succeed with the Spurs. Which you don't want to make that pick, you know, just based on those assumptions and be like, oh, well, we'll just wing this pick, you know, but maybe you swing for the fences. Maybe it works out great, you know. Yeah, and I think we've actually seen the Spurs do this a couple times in the last couple of years is take dudes with like really high upside, but potentially like attitude problems because uh, they took Joshua Primo last year. And then a couple of years ago in 2018, they took Lonnie Walker, uh, both guys who had character issues coming into the league, uh, but were like high upside as players. So um, I think that's probably the best landing spot for Sharp as well. Oh, sure. Like, I think it's not where he's going to want to go. But as a dude who needs like a lot of development to reach his admittedly high ceiling, that's one of like the top two teams in the league you want to play for if you need to be developed as a player. Like I think it's like the Warriors and the Spurs. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I I think that like you're right on point that they kind of need to take a swing. Um, I think Sochan is another great opportunity for them with that as well. But I don't think anyone is a bigger swing right now than Shaden Sharp. Because he, he's, we don't know what he is, but what we hear is that his talent is so immense that he could be like the best player in this draft. So, yeah. And then the last pick at 10, um, we're just kind of doing this one consensus. I, I mean, I think like the easy thing to do here is probably just pick Jalen Duran. Uh, Washington needs a center and needs someone who can protect the rim. Uh, so that's interesting. I think Osman uh, Jang from Australia is like all of a sudden a super interesting prospect who's shooting up people's boards because he's like a 6'10 do it all wing. Yeah. Um, but if I'm the Wizards, I'm probably just taking the guy I think is going to help me win the most next year. And I, I think that's probably like either Duran or Johnny Davis. Um, which way are you guys leaning? I mean, I'm a big Duran guy. I am uh, too. I, I, like uh, I think I think he's actually got upside with his shot too. I think that while his form isn't consistent, like his shot does, like looks fine. Um, I think we've seen a few games last year where he was able to hit like four or five mid range shots. Um, so I think he's got ability to do that a little bit more consistently in the future. And like we saw with the Pistons, just how much better Cade Cunningham played when we got Bagley and had a competent role man. Like I think that could help the Wizards out a lot. Um just imagine like running a pick and roll with Bradley Beal and Jalen Duran just barreling down the lane. Just toss it up there. Like no one's going to outjump him. I agree. And while, and while I'm not necessarily a fan of drafting for need, like you said, Adam, it's like, this is a situation where who else do they have there at the center position? Yeah. Why wouldn't they want to take a guy here who, you know, does have quite a lot of upside himself. Um, yeah. You know, you pair him like Matt said, pair him with Bradley Beal see if they can kind of have a a pick and roll threat. Yeah. I wouldn't hate Johnny Davis there either. I mean, he's comes in and and he's going to immediately provide offense that the, he was the only thing that Wisconsin had to offer. Yeah. I think Johnny Davis is a particularly good pick for them too. If they are planning on trading Bradley Beal at some point. Yeah. You know, a guy that you could potentially turn the keys to the offense to, uh, you give them the keys to the offense in the future. So, uh, but that is it for us as always fouled up can be found on Spotify, Apple podcast, pocket cast, overcast, anywhere you get your podcast. You can hit us up on Twitter at fouled out sports. You can find Matt on Twitter at matador underscore defense. You can watch our videos on TikTok at fouled out podcast. Uh, any final thoughts? We got the draft on Thursday. So we're going to be back next week with the kind of draft recap and then like NBA stories to watch in the off season. Uh, any other thoughts on like the finals or the draft before the draft actually hits? Uh, I just want to say that 
any of these Lakers fans out there who think they're getting Bradley Beal, like, switch up whatever drugs you're doing because <laughs> it's not healthy. <laughs> I am curious to see, you know, what happens with the Lakers, you know, in right. the offseason with all the talking and then right. just watch them start next season with the exact same roster. That right. They have. Like, <laughs> you, you're telling me that you last offseason traded with the Wizards for Russell Westbrook who had Bradley Beal, and now you want to trade them back, Russell Westbrook, so that you can get Bradley Beal. Like, in what world are they going to go for that? It's I, I can't do it with the Lakers fans anymore. Uh, very limited options with that roster. Um, the thing I'm most interested to see this week during the draft is the trades. I think, you know, four yeah. is potentially for sale, seven's for sale, who moves up, who moves down, what does it cost them to get into that like top four area, I think is really interesting. So I'm looking forward to that. For sure. And who's getting, you know, which players are those picks that are getting traded, you know, which is, which of these uh, prospects is it that's getting shuffled around like that? Yeah, for sure. I'm on Jose Calderon watch. Jose Calderon watch 2022. He's got to be like, he's probably what his early forties. He can play. Yeah, you can play. You did playing. Is he though? We're gonna start I selling mean, allegedly. <laughs> We're gonna start selling Jose Calderon stand T-shirts. But all right, guys, I uh, everybody enjoy the draft. Congratulations again to the Warriors: Steph Curry, Bob Myers, Joe Lacob, and Stephen Kerr on their excellent run. Let someone else have a turn. But all right, I will see you guys next week. <laughs> Bring me Jose Calderon. <laughs> Bye guys. That was good. Take it easy. Bye, Robin. Bye, mom.